You're listening to The Big Data Beard. How would you explain what Apex Pro is as a device and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, so Apex Pro is a, is a small device with sensors in it. You stick it on the dashboard of your car. It connects to your phone with Bluetooth and it logs data while you drive. So it's measuring stuff like GPS and IMU measurements. So, you know, speed and acceleration, how fast you're going, how hard is the vehicle accelerating. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's measuring accelerations and a bunch of different axes, not just forward and backwards and side to side, right? Nine axes of acceleration. Um, But what we would fundamentally call it is a data system. Right? That's what this industry has been called, motorsports data acquisition. Um, so it's logging everything that the vehicle is doing. It's giving you a real-time output. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is how you're doing. This is how close you are to basically where the car loses control. Mm-hmm. And then it sends a bunch of that data to your phone so you can look at it and analyze what you did. For this episode of the Big Data Beard podcast, we get to learn about how to go fast with data. You just heard from Andrew Rains, one of the founders of Apex Pro, a device manufacturer here in Birmingham, Alabama, that's using real-time feedback, machine learning, and a little Internet of Things device called the Apex Pro to help people like me who enjoy going fast around a track, whether for high-performance driving or racing events, get the absolute most from our cars. Let's talk now with Austin Gurley and Andrew Rains, the founders of Apex Pro. Yes, I'm Austin Gurley. I'm CTO at Def Dynamics and Apex Pro. Uh, my background's in mechanical engineering and then lately turned towards more electrical engineering and a lot of computer science type of stuff, um, particularly with Apex and and some machine learning a little bit and some traditional optimization, things like that, that cool. we're using in Apex. I'm, uh, I'm Andrew Raines. I am a co-founder of Apex Pro with Austin Gurley. Uh, and I'm pretty much everything outside of the technical realm of the product. Uh, I manage the sales and and marketing stuff. So any outward communications that you see, um, I put together the plan for that and um, kind of have our broader market growth plan um, and then a little bit of everything. Um, I work with Baker, who's sitting in the room here as well. And uh, Baker's really our primarily kind of our operations director. So he manages the production, the manufacturing of the product. And so I kind of liaise between him and Austin a lot, um, technical production, and I'm kind of uh, filling in the gaps in a lot of ways there. Um, but pretty much sales, man. I'm, nice. a, I'm a racer, so um, I just my, I got into this because I wanted to drive fast. I wanted to have an excuse to do that as often as possible. Nice. And somehow, uh, a couple years later, here I found myself embedded in a position where I'm at the track a lot, and uh, I get to travel and and most of the time get paid to be there. So that's good. It's, uh, it's good. Tell me a little bit about your uh, your racing experience, like how you got into racing. Tell me that little your story, where you started in racing, and kind of where you uh, where you moved through your career. Sure. Well, I was born April twenty first, nineteen ninety three. It all started it, on a right. sunny day. And April twenty second, I knew I wanted to be a race car driver. That's awesome. Uh, not, not quite, but but very close. Uh, I grew up going to uh, Road Atlanta with my dad back in like the like really, um, I guess kind of peak popularity of sports car racing, like late nineties in the U S where there was just some really bad, fast stuff. And my dad was a car guy. And so I kind of got hooked on it from a young age, um, as a spectator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when they built Barbara motorsports park here in Birmingham, uh, I was like, this is for me. My parents live five miles from the track. Um, so it, it was really kind of just like a gravitational pull, like a tractor beam. So it was just, <laughs> it was, I, I couldn't even help but, but get there. So I started like riding dirt bikes and stuff when I was younger. And, and that was all kind of leading up to this path. It's funny enough as I ended up 
hooking up with a guy that was in my home ec class in high school who really? uh, who autocrossed yeah okay. he uh, and he's he's still out at the track sometimes and uh so i i co-drove his uh his like base model civic nice. uh, honda civic with him and that really set the hook deep i won like the novice class i got you know uh you know, whatever they're, they have like a calculated PAX time, they call it. I, I think I won the class for that. I did really well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. You know? So I ended up uh, going to Auburn and met Austin doing Formula SAE. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the only not non-engineer on the Formula SAE team okay. until we kind of eventually recruited in some non-engineering folks. Um, and that was really, uh, kind of off to the races. I started club racing. You can see some of this, some of the stuff behind us, this like championship placard right here, yeah. raced a stock car, late model stock car for a little while. Um, so kind of think of a NASCAR. That's what yeah. it looked like. Um, all road racing. Um, uh, so I haven't done any like circle track or dirt racing, which I'd really like to do. It does, um, it does seem fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, um, yeah, man, I, I, I ran my own team for a little while. Um, we had a professional team based here. Um, I did better part of two racing seasons mm-hmm. uh, in a professional series. Um, so televised and managing some sponsorship money, mostly just my own income and, <laughs> and being a little irresponsible, but I was, you know, 22, 23 driving around the country with a race car. Um, and it taught me a lot. That was right when we started uh, getting into Apex Pro. So Austin approached me about kind of being the the test mule for logging data for apex to kind of start building that we didn't know what it was going to be yeah. but um i was the only guy he knew that had a race car so i, I <laughs> so it's convenient go. you were the guy <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah that's right so andrew and i were on a race team in formula sae at auburn together and we were always you know, a bunch of good mechanical engineering students were building these cars so that's how fsae works each year you build a car you go and race it so for those that don't know what uh, formula sae is would you just give us just a, a quick high level of what that program is uh, and, and kind of its scope naturally. Sure. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a fundamentally an engineering design challenge, um, but there's so many facets of it and it's evolved so much from what it originally was. Uh, but it's, a, it's an engineering project, so mostly funded by like mechanical engineering departments at, at universities um, and students basically build a race car mm-hmm. um, from literally like a you know, table napkin kind of concept all the way to a, a running driving machine. So it's a clean slate every year. It's what every professional race series that exists now wish, wishes they were. Okay. It's what racing was in the 50s or the 60s where literally you have to have four wheels and a and a motor, mm-hmm. you know, and there really are no rules. There's only safety rules. Okay. There's an engine displacement restriction, um, and, and that's really it. They say, you know, the rule book literally says that there, there must be four tires and they cannot be in line. <laughs> that's like the first kind of page okay. of the rule book. So, yeah. Um, it's a, it's been a great way to get people, uh, you know, that have that passion for driving and maybe are doing like irresponsible things on the street while they're in college with their daily drivers into kind of a more channeled focused way. And it really answers the question why, like when we go to the racetrack and drive fast, if you did formula SAE and you learned about how important the tire is and how important the suspension is for managing the tire on the ground, you have a better fundamental understanding of like, why is a race car, a race car, what makes it tick right and that makes you much more educated about just more knowledge uh for the sport so people are getting into motorsport at a younger age with more knowledge because of formula c as a good engineer you're sitting there and you're building a car you make all these pieces and you think you know everything about everything because engineering student and it's your car uh and so in particular 
we did. We thought a pretty good job building these cars. They could be fast, but none of us could drive. Andrew's pretty good, but um, none of the engineers could drive. And we'd always convince ourselves, well, we built the car. So, of course, we can understand how to drive it and, yeah. and make it faster. But we're never any good at it. We're always pretty slow. So Apex kind of evolved out of we used to look at data a lot, didn't know what to do with it. Uh, didn't have time to learn it. So Apex is kind of an evolution of how much can we automate the process of looking at racing data and make it useful for the driver more than just to design a car. What does it really take to make a car go fast? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so before you get the driver in the car, um, there's a lot of pieces to it. Yeah, going fast, the way Formula works is it's on an autocross style racetrack, which is kind of set up in a parking lot with cones, essentially. So it's it's really lower speed, maybe top speed of 70-ish miles an hour. Mostly it averages below 40. And it's a lot of sharp turns and hard braking and hard acceleration. So yeah, like the engineering way to say it would be you're more interested in making the car accelerate than to have a high top speed. And so when you're designing that, that comes down to engine torque and power and everything on the car has to be reliable but it has to be lightweight so a lot of that and then in particular what i was focused on was suspension dynamics and kinematics of how do you keep the tires uh in contact with the ground as much as possible which is where all your grip to accelerate comes from so help me understand like your in your experience as a as a racing driver as somebody who made a living doing this and i know you still do a lot of instructing uh, around the country what is it like? What does it take to go fast? Like when somebody drives a car fast, like what does that really mean? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, you and Austin talked a little bit about slip angle yeah. and tires and and how they they contact the ground. So um, there's there's a lot to that. You mm-hmm. know, it's not just one single thing. Um, honestly, the biggest one is is an open attitude. Mm-hmm. Is is like, and it sounds trite, and it probably is the same as is anything else you'd say, like, what does it take to make a lot of money in the stock market? (laughs) It's probably very similar to be honest. It's a learned uh, trait. I I definitely think some people are a little more um, inclined, but usually when you unpack that, it's because they started riding dirt bikes when they were really young, or they had a golf cart, you know, when they were a kid and they've been, they've been, you know, driving a vehicle for a long time. Um, But it it really takes a lot. You know, the, the saying in racing is that not only is it expensive, it's like, how much does racing cost? It's like everything that you have. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What, like if you want to win, it's everything. Yeah. And so driving fast just really takes commitment yeah. and the right attitude. Yeah. And I noticed when I, when I, you, you watch races, the cars that are going fast, like when it's professional drivers, you know, in a competitive race, the cars almost look like they're sliding. Like they almost yeah. look like they're sliding across the track. What, why is, are they really sliding or is that just a, like they're going so fast? It makes me think they are. Yeah, that's a great question. So because of the way tires, you know, they're rubber, they're not, they're not a hard surface. So to develop any grip, they actually are pretty much sliding at any point. Um, and that, that does a lot of things, but because it's rubber, the way it interacts with the road, uh, it has to slip a little bit to get as much traction as possible. It's also warming up the tire and, and creating more kind of adhesion and grip between the tire and the ground. So, so when we're thinking about, you know, slip angle and going fast, how do you start to think about that from a mathematics perspective? Yeah, that, that's what we call the friction circle, basically. The And it's taught in a lot of racing schools. Um, some HPD organizations teach it, but it's also called a GG plot, XY plot. Um, there's a lot of different names for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically lateral and longitudinal acceleration plotted against each other, one on the x-axis and one on the y-axis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, braking is below the zero axis longitudinally and above it 
um, would be accelerating right mm -hmm. above the zero axis. And then turning to the right would be on the right side, turning to the left would be on the left side. Um, but when we talk about the slip angle of the tire and optimizing it, fast drivers are never in the middle of the friction circle. They're always on the outside. Okay. Meaning they can transition from um, max lateral acceleration to max longitudinal deceleration or acceleration um, very, very quickly mm -hmm. without ever passing through the middle. Meaning there's they're never accelerating at a rate of hardly anything, right? Yeah. They're never zero acceleration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a really, really interesting concept to think about, but it's the whole basis of what Apex Pro is essentially showing you a modified version of that in the car. Okay. You know, it's showing you where you are on the friction circle versus what it thinks where it thinks the car should be. Really? Okay. So that's literally, it's a difference between what the, the calculated that machine learning model says, this is probably what you could do without flying off the track. Right. And this is what you're actually doing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that friction circle gets modified a little bit based off of kind of what Austin talked about with the IMU and the GPS corrections, mm -hmm. um, for track topography or, um, you know, vibrations that are, that mean the surface has changed. Right. So you can actually measure like frequency of the, the vibrations, which means there's a different surface, which can affect how the model learns. So there's all sorts of cool stuff. You know, if the car, if you're, if you're driving, you know, down a hill, mm -hmm. you have to brake a lot sooner to come to a stop at a stop sign. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if you're going up a hill in a very similar situation, there's a stop sign, you might not even have to touch the brake pedal. Yeah. And those things affect where you can be on the friction circle and the severity of how quickly you can get there. Um, so if you're breaking up a hill, you can slam on the brakes and do it a lot later than yeah. breaking down a hill. And those are the things that really, really fast professional drivers that are driving the tire at the optimal rate of slip all the time. That's what they fundamentally understand. And they get out on, they do a track walk and they see these changes in the pavement or they see where the corner banks and that changes how they approach it. Whereas if you don't see that stuff or, or understand it, you can't take advantage of the, of that you know, natural topography or whatever in the track. Yeah. How do you think about that? How do you think about that as an engineer on helping somebody achieve that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So as an engineer working on a suspension, you kind of start with the way a tire behaves. So you can, you can isolate, forget the car, forget the, the body of it and the wings and everything. And just say, if I had a tire pressed against asphalt, how does it behave? And so that's where you learn things about how much the slipping of the tire across the ground develops grip, how much the, the normal force pushing it down into the ground affects the grip and all those things, temperature, pressures. From a racing driver's perspective, how do you know when you're in that edge? Like, does it, is it just a feel thing? Is it, you know, is there something that you're noticing? Like, what is it, what does it mean? Like when you feel that you're going so fast, you're literally sliding across the track perfectly. Yeah, Apex pro man, just, <laughs> just, just have an apex pro. Right? That's right. You see um, green and you're good. Right? Yeah. But, but really, you know, um, you, you and Austin talked about uh, when you watch like a professional race, you see the, the cars look like they're sliding. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, they are. Um, you know, most tires, especially, um, you know, the, the, the higher level of grip the tire gets, the less it likes to slip really. Mm -hmm. But really good drivers proficiently are basically sliding the car all the time. And that's because the tire makes its peak amount of grip at a slight you know, slip basically the, you know, if you're, if anyone listening is like a pilot or something, you, you're, you're familiar with like the angle of attack on the wing, right? Angle of attack lift is not basically the prevailing wind and the angle of attack aren't supposed to be facing directly at each other, right? Yeah. There's an angle that the wing should be at to the, to the wind. And it's the same way with the tire. There's an angle that the tire basically needs to be at to create its 
maximum grip. So it's, it's not just driving straight on the road. Um, and so that's what we call slip angle, right? It's that angle that of the tire relative to the direction of travel. Apex pro is really targeted at, uh, you know, high performance driving events and sort of folks that are trying to learn to race, you know, what would, you know, what would you say to people that are like, I, I mean, it seems crazy to go out and drive a car, like your car on the track fast. Like why should people really be paying attention to like high performance driving events and getting into this sport as a hobby? Yeah. Well, you can buy insurance for it. Oh, that's so. true. That's, that's true. <laughs> a little plug for our insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. We have an insurance partner. Um, no, but you, you really can, uh, you know, this industry has evolved a ton. Um, I see more and more people that are into it that you, that don't fit into your stereotype of who's supposed to be into this. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, if you're the type of person that enjoys adrenaline and you, and you like doing, you know, not necessarily higher risk stuff, but if you like, you know, like rock climbing or you like scuba diving or anything like that, this is right up your alley. It'll, it'll fit right in. So, um, I have that conversation with a lot of people. It's really, it's much safer than driving on the road statistically. Um, and you learn, you learn stuff that literally every day when you get in your car, your, your head's going to be on a swivel. You're going to avoid stuff that I, I see people. If I get on my Facebook page, I can, Every every day, there's somebody that's posting a picture of a crash, and they're going, "If this guy was on the track with us, this probably wouldn't have happened." <laughs> yeah, you <know>? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and if he, he actually had paid attention when he'd gone to do something like that, yeah, makes absolutely. you a better driver. You've actually created a, a device that doesn't like it doesn't go into your car any more than like you go in your car. Like it's not wired in. Like it's collecting information about you and your driving while you're going on the track. Help me understand where that started. Where like where you started with, hey, there's a lot of ways to collect data about the car. But you ended up with something that I think is kind of unique. So help me understand how you guys yeah. got to this idea of Apex Pro. Yeah. So on the engineering team, we had access to everything that you wanted. So we could put a sensor anywhere we wanted. Uh, the budget was pretty good to, to get any data point that we thought could be relevant. And when Andrew and I started the business, we kind of had to make a shift from that concept because the product can't be like that. A lot of our customers have a car. Some, some people drive it during the week and they're not going to be running wires left and right across the dashboard. So really it was, it is kind of a big change from what we were doing before, but it's pretty necessary to the product that it's very easy to install it. And so it's neat because it forces us to think in terms of what can we do with the data that, that you can get easily by just slapping us on the dashboard and it working versus having access to everything like we used to. Help me understand a little bit more about the guts of what is in this beautiful little blue box, or if it's the red one, the skip bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. It's got a uh, GPS. So number one, where are you? How fast you going? More important, the, the way we do the modeling, how, uh, how fast and the elevation, some things like that. So GPS in general, GPS only gives you data about 10 times a second mm-hmm. at most. Um, so you can get, you can kind of augment that. Where am I? How fast am I going? What's my acceleration with an IMU? So IMU would be accelerometers and gyroscopes mm-hmm. sample in our case, about 2000 times a second per channel. And so you can combine the GPS and the IMU together to get a really kind of holistic picture of what what's the state of the car at any point um on top of that those are the main ones we use so thinking from a from a racing perspective acceleration is a big deal the the rotation the yawing affects a lot about how you're slipping across the ground like you said and then there's some aspects of rolling and pitching especially on tracks that have banking so that's but that's the main thing i'm you into gps yeah okay so then but that's data collection like collecting data is interesting yeah. for retrospect, right? It's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, to go back and look at how you did in the past. 
but you've taken that step to go forward, which is like into near real time providing feedback. Help me understand how you're getting to that, the little lights on the front that are going red and green as I go through the corners. How are you guys developing that real-time feedback system that's actually impacting what I do right that minute? Yeah. So so on top of the sensors, we have a microcontroller that's running full speed in, in that box. Um, we're, we're taking data in, 2,000 data points a, sam- a second, thereabouts. Um, but there's nowhere to put it because it's a microcontroller. So mm-hmm. first thing we're doing is we're taking the data points. It gets filtered to make it smoother, more useful. And we're kind of keeping a... Well, in the end, we're trying to build a model of the car. So that's what the product does is you build a model of the race car. Mm-hmm. And as you're going around the track, you're constantly pulling in data, learn more about the model, um, see how the limits grow and evolve and try to extrapolate what's the capabilities of the vehicle, regardless of how the driver's performing. Okay. And then after you have that model, usually it only takes about a lap or, or so on, on most tracks, uh, you're able to compare the driver's performance to that, that model's limit. Mm-hmm. So in the end, what shows up on the lights is just a simple metric of how close is the driver to the limit of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the way we display it, it's, it's pretty easy for a driver to use that information to adjust how they drive. Um, cause it's all been simplified, but, but inside there, yeah, there's, and, and I guess that's, we can go into some more details on yeah. that for sure. Um, but inside you're trying to reduce 2000 data points per channel per second into what percent of the car's capability is a driver using right yeah. now. I've never seen any other sort of, like real time feedback system in a, in a racing, you know, data acquisition system. Is this, I mean, that to me feels like the really revolutionary thing that you guys accomplished. Would you agree with that? Probably so. I think that was definitely our thesis going into it. And since then we've learned a lot and not necessarily modified from that, but we've learned that the phrase real time means instant, but it also means 20 minutes after you get out of the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because previously data acquisition um, required you to take a computer to the track Mm -hmm. and plug it into whatever device it is and pull the data from there and then update you know, open up their software. And if you're not extremely proficient with that software, it's going to take you the better part of an hour to, to get everything lined up and to figure out what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So real time is also immediately after getting off the track. I think that's kind of what we learned. Um, there's a reflection. The, the real time indication is almost a reflection of what you should look at after the fact and vice versa. Okay. So they influence each other, but yet fundamentally, yes, there's not another company that's built around showing you accelerations and what your vehicle is doing acceleration wise in real time relative to what it could do. Yeah. We're the only ones that do that. Cause that's the Delta, right? I mean, that's the, the, if you can go faster, you want to know that in the moment in the turn so that the next two, three laps in that turn, you know, like, Hey, I yeah. can do something a little different, but how does like, how does data review, like, how do you see it best used to change behaviors on the racetrack? Oh, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I mean, that's, that's the business that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, honestly me being around, Austin and learning from him taught me a lot about where the industry needs to go because he can look at things so objectively and and he's so good at, um, you know, he invented the product, right. And he was good at just looking at it like it's ones and zeros, right. And X's and O's, it's very simple. Um, but asking people to change their attitude is really hard to do, Mm -hmm. but most people don't use data acquisition and high performance driving still. It's, it's a very small portion of people. So the first action item is expand that by making it an easier barrier to entry, right? Not only lower cost, but just like more user friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in of itself is already enacting some change when you're comparing everything off the same basis, right? Instead of having different data systems and different sensors that you have to compare, 
then, you know, two guys can get together that never met each other at the racetrack and compare each other's data and learn from each other. Yeah. And that, that is a big change. Mm -hmm. That's a societal, that's a cultural, that's a, that's a shift. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're approaching. Yeah. Are you, now, are you guys taking that, that data that is being collected? Cause you've, you've sold lots of these devices. I was looking yeah. at the, the crew was it the crew view. Yeah. And I was looking around the tracks. So I'm like, there's hundreds of these <laughs> things out there. Like this isn't like a few of them. Are y'all starting to harvest some of that like data? Are you getting some of that data back that you can then use to improve the models and sort of change the way that the products used in real life? Yeah, that's right. We have, um, we are able to collect data from people that, that led us, of course. So it's, uh, there's a live stream, like you can see anybody that wants to, to do that. And, and we have um, a collection of people that share the sessions that they record. So we have the, the high speed data from their complete, yeah. their complete run. And it's pretty neat. Um, we're not doing anything with that for the product yet, but yeah, for sure. It's, it's pretty fun. I can go and pick the track that's new here, Barber Motorsports, and I can overlay several, several hundred, almost a thousand sessions of different people at Barber and see, see some pretty neat information about how people actually use the track, maybe different than what you'd expect. I'm guessing there was, you know, there's got to be a learning curve there of, you know, what tools and technologies might be able to be <clears throat> shrunk down and run at scale to be run on a, you know, literally a USB or a small battery, you know, rechargeable yeah. battery powered device. What sort of like open source tooling did you kind of work through in terms of like model development and what were the most useful tools along the way as you started to develop those machine learning models? Yeah, for sure. So that was Apex um, was my first product that was an iot or an embedded device product that there was any cl anywhere close to this level of kind of sophistication mm -hmm. so i started with arduinos like most people most people do and it's a fantastic it's kind of really for people that are outside of it's hard to explain what arduino means because because you can start in a place that's it's a beginner tool and you can grow with it to a place um, where you can do a lot of work with it it's not quite going to make you a product just because of the the way it's built um, so yeah, that's where I started was Arduinos like everybody else. Um, we started with, with these kind of things like sensors in a, in a fishing tackle box. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think that one actually had a, an original like Arduino Uno in it. The first okay. one, yeah. it wasn't close to powerful enough, but I could get the data and I could log it maybe to an SD card, go look at it in the computer, figure out what to do with it. Okay. Um, and then moving away from that upgraded microcontrollers a few times, we now use some um, uh, it's kind of a custom setup with a Cortex M4F uh, controller that also has Bluetooth. It's a series of chips from Nordic semiconductors. So it has Bluetooth built in and some floating point math computing that kind of lets you do enough work in real time. And you can also stream as we do. We stream the sensor data at about 10 or 20 hertz to the phone so that you can do some kind of post-processing and review your session yeah. after it's helped you hopefully in the real time feedback. Interesting. Yeah. So were there any, when you started to think about taking that data <clears throat> and building a model, the modeling piece of it is kind of interesting because there's, there's a lot of, you know, tools that people use to develop models today. And a lot of it has been open source from both the scientific computing side, but also from like the industry side, a lot of the, the web 2.0, you know, Google's and everybody else. Sure. Were there any tools that were sort of standards that, that you found exceptionally useful when going from, you know, high speed, small amounts of data, but in really fast kind of formats that were really helpful when you started to develop the models? That's a good question. Uh, really the way we do the models, it's mostly custom work. The stuff that goes in real time uh, doesn't really take advantage of those tools because we don't have the computing power to use a lot of oh, them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a bit of a different approach. It's still, it's it, what well, it is machine learning in the sense of you give it data 
and answers and it creates a model that's the middle of it so so it's a kind of backwards the traditional what is machine learning problem um but it is approached a, a bit differently than than some of those tools kind of t- lend you lend to so yeah i love when macro technology trends slam into each other and you guys like <laughs> sit at the like at the hub of that where you've got an iot device that that you guys built from scratch like using the way a lot of us tinker but you're marrying that with some pretty cool machine learning and doing real-time math and computation that's pretty impressive on a lot of axes, a lot of data. How do you see that like expanding? How do you see AI and IoT coming together to really change racing and high-performance driving in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, gathering driver's data in different cars from tracks all over the world and, mm-hmm. and aggregating that to create something useful. And I think that's, that's certainly very important. Um, and it's really important because of your previous question, which was about, you know, what change do you, how do you, how do you enact change? And if you have a standard that's based off of something objective and you already know, because you have thousands of data sessions, Hey, your car's on this tire and it's got this, you know, very approximate, right? It's a, this car is a, you know, your, your make model, Mm -hmm. right. With this tire. Um, and you have enough data that you can pull it. You can already understand, you know, how many G's that car is capable of pulling. What, uh, when we talk about, you know, data view, what should that car speed trace look like in certain corners? What should certain elements of the data look like? If you already know that and you have that archetype for a lot of people, all they're asking, um, when they're trying to drive and, and all they need to know is have the confidence to know that the car can go faster. Right. Cause, cause it's hard when you don't, when you haven't driven a certain speed, it's hard to just tell yourself to, to go to that speed. <laughs> yeah. right? It's an unknown. Absolutely. It's a big question mark. But if you know, and, and in the past, the way this is done is you hire somebody like me or someone that I know, like a you know, professional coach mm-hmm. and they get in your car and they drive it as fast as they can. Yeah. Right. And they've got years and years of experience and they've, they've developed that feel to be able to put the car at its limit. Mm-hmm. And then you can compare the data from those two drivers and they can learn Okay, well, these are specific things I can do to get there. Yeah. But now when we're talking about data aggregation, you don't necessarily get that per- – we're not necessarily trying to take away that person's influence or job because, to be honest, like the coaching aspect still has to remain pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the data to be able to say, no, the car's got more in it, that would be really – that would be big. Yeah. Um, and and there's certainly – you know, data – I mean, motorsports is a niche industry, so it's not going to be the first industry to have AI and, and – machine learning change it because it's a relatively small group of people. So, um, this hasn't had, it's a, it's a totally new horizon for this type of stuff, yeah. right? It's not really being done. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. The, the main thing is for most of our customers, they're not as much, they like data, but they're not it from a data background. Mm-hmm. The main thing is you're at the track at least that weekend to be fast. And maybe during the week you can look at the data, study it but while you're there, you're there to drive faster. So it, I think we're doing a good job of making a shift to focusing on what does a driver need? Even, even back to saying before, like how can we make the car faster, tune different things? Um, the main focus here is how can the driver with the car they're in today improve their performance? Mm-hmm. And then the automation of it is what lets you focus on that and not worry about how to interpret raw data into something that may or may not be useful to you. Yeah, it's a, it is interesting because I, you know, there's a lot of ways to capture data, but if it doesn't, if you don't know what to do with it, what's the point, right? It's yeah, exactly. No reason. Yeah. Well, what do you think if, <clears throat> as you look at just racing in general? Like, what are some of the other areas that you think things like automation, machine learning, and AI? What do you think other impacts might be here in the near future to the more the racing community? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
definitely what you mentioned earlier about having a large set of data from from multiple cars that you can look at and and better analyze what is what is the real potential of a track or or maybe you find things that were missed before um there's a lot of maybe tribal knowledge about how to drive a certain track from the instructors who who teach there and they're mostly you know by far they're correct about it but there is a lot to learn um that you just might not see if you don't have the data to do it no one's really collecting uh, data in a way that's helpful. So the most important thing when we're actually looking at real machine learning type of problems, I, I suppose, is is having data that's labeled and, and accurate and consistent. And so one issue with, with some attempts, I'm not the first person you and I to think of collecting many cars data and consolidating it. But the issue is that when you have a range of different types of data loggers and the even simple things like sample rate, are the sensors installed correctly? You don't really know uh, that the data is even good to start with and the quality's got a huge variation. You don't know what vehicle it's from. So it's really hard to use that to build anything more valuable because of so many unknowns. You're working with some bad assumptions. Yeah. Something nice about the Apex Pro is that box has the same sensors on everybody's dashboard. It's installed the same way. The way it auto calibrates is known. So it's really a, a set of data that you can compare among different different cars and drivers and it's useful uh to the community what's next for you and the the apex pro team like what are you thinking about from uh, uh macro tech trends and you know both from that you're looking from the outside in like what's going to affect you guys but also what are you looking to do sort of next <clears throat> in the product yeah for sure so what we've really hit on here at apex specifically and deft kind of the the overall group here is how can we, if you have an idea about, I know if I knew this about my car, this about my driving and, and I had it presented in a way that's useful, I know I could be faster or I know whatever your theory is. And so it's really important to us to create a path from, I have an idea to useful data shows up that you can act on mm -hmm. and, and what's in the middle of that can be all kind of things. But one thing we're focused on is creating a tool set so that we can focus on the idea and the result and everything in the middle is kind of tuned and and ready to plug in any new idea that someone might have to me and um the whole idea behind apex pro is is making the data more accessible and more useful mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily just more 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 but better right um, so i think the biggest thing for us is education how fundamentally and, and it's almost the same thing formula sae has done for motorsport i think there's a lot of ways motorsports declining. There's also a lot of ways it's growing and people don't talk about how it's growing. And it's the same way with most industries. You just hear the naysayers, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of good growth. Um, so I think for us, it's teaching people, teaching the populace of people that get into high performance driving, which the vast majority of people aren't pro racers. They're not even amateur racers. They have a sports car that they take to the track occasionally. Yeah. And so we want to provide an avenue for those people to really be able to look at their performance objectively and be able to almost... I use the term fun because we want to make looking at your data more fun, uh, meaning easier to compare with other people, easier to understand what your friend did versus what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, when we improve and we have the light bulb click, that's fun. And that's why we go to the racetrack. It's Absolutely. not, it's not to make money. It's, it's to burn money. Most of the <laughs> that's time, exactly right. it's for fun. Yeah. So really we're, we're trying to educate people. And we're trying to enhance their experience. I'm curious if you like, as you've looked at data and you've done these coaching sessions, you've ridden with people, What's maybe the one surprising thing that you've seen like amateur and kind of newer drivers do that the data exposes more meaningfully than like 
than, than they probably have seen it anywhere else. Like one habit or one behavior that just really quickly people will go, Oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Is there like an aha moment kind of data set yeah. or thing that you identify through the data? Absolutely. And some of it's once you look at enough data, you don't, all you have to look at is, is like a shape and a graph, right? Oh, okay. Um, and usually it's the foot rolling off the throttle pedal before a braking zone. Mm -hmm. So your wide open throttle, foot to the floorboard, accelerating as hard as you can down the straightaway. And a lot of times our our brain tells us on the racetrack, hey, there's a there's a marker up there. That's where I'm gonna going to apply the brakes because mm -hmm. that's the way we're taught. That's the, how the the system teaches you right now. Mm -hmm. And so when you think I'm going to apply the brakes there, your foot starts to come off the throttle. Yeah. And you all you have to have is GPS speed and the data to to see that the line starts to flatten. Right, it should be trending up and to the right. Yeah, and it starts to flatten. Okay, if that's all you see, you know that's what's happening. Okay, and ninety percent of the time, that's the exact reason. So it's the preemptive lift. Preemptive lift, and I I remember the first time that was exposed to me that I was doing that was at uh, a racetrack called Road America, which has three really fast straightaways. Mm -hmm. I mean, super super gnarly fast racetrack, and every single time I was on one of these fast straightaways. I was anticipating the braking zone, right? Mm -hmm. So I lifted my foot and went to the brake. Yeah. And that was probably half a second of lap time that all I had to do was just brake a little sooner yeah. and keep my foot at wide open throttle. Interesting. And it's super easy to see. And it doesn't take, there's no science to it. All you have to understand is how that line is supposed to look. Yeah. And you already know what's going on. <laughs> uh, and, and there's, you know, there's a couple other ones as well, but that's probably the most prevalent. Okay. Yeah. So as a, so maybe let's talk about one, like, you, if you could give people one piece of advice to really pay attention to a, to a behavior or a thing they do on the racetrack to go faster, what's that, what's maybe that one biggest thing that you can tell immediately the difference between somebody who's real, like a pro driver and a, you know, off the road Joe. Yeah. Minimize the amount of time it takes for you to get from wide open throttle to threshold braking, right? As, as fast as you possibly can without, without upsetting the balance of the car. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then the second one is, is, uh, usually delay your initial throttle input. Okay. Um, we're taught coasting is bad. Mm -hmm. uh, well, coasting being defined as not using either of the pedals mm -hmm. um, in, in motorsport in general. And for the most part, that's true. Uh, but when we're talking, you know, transitioning into the corner and going back to the throttle, mm -hmm. if you can't squeeze to wide open throttle, most of the time it's beneficial to hesitate before you go back to the power. So when we talk like from a physics standpoint, the gas pedal puts the weight towards the rear of the car, right? Mm -hmm. The load is transferred over the rear tires yeah. and that makes your steering axis, your, your front tires more, you know, lose effectiveness in steering. So a lot of times newer drivers will tend to go back to too much throttle too soon and then have to release the throttle. Interesting. And the driver that waited passes them on the outside, the corner, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, uh, if you had one reason to tell everybody why like the apex pro you're excited about it, proud of it, why they should own it. What is like your number one kind of message to people that they were like, man, why, why would I buy this thing? <laughs> yeah. Of course I like it. Cause I, I built it. So you have to ask the marketing guys <laughs> for, for that one. Um, yeah. but, but really our focus is on how do we back away from a driver needing to look at data if they don't want to. So, so a lot of the people on this, on this cast are going to want to know these details. Most of our customers want to want to win at the racetrack. And so we we focus on that too. Thanks for listening to the big data beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. And be sure to smash that thumbs up button so we can keep the episodes coming until next time. Keep being awesome.